This is Lee Shackleford, creator of Relativity, and if you've been listening to the show, our episodes this summer, then you've heard that I've been interviewing people who are fellow podcasters, fellow creators of audio fiction, and judging by our download numbers, that's been a tremendously popular idea. It kind of makes me want to do a show that's nothing but that, but... Uh, I know that people want to get back to hearing actual episodes of this series. I certainly hope everybody does. So, uh, And we are, uh, well, I'll make an announcement about that later on in this episode. This one is just me. This is just me talking, and I hope that I, I have some things to share with you that are interesting. I'm calling this, um, where have we been and where are we going? Because um, people do ask me. They, they do me the, the favor or the courtesy, I should say, of... of asking me where some of these ideas came from or where do you know what was the idea or why did i want to something like that anyway there's a a film directed by douglas trumbull in the early 70s called silent running silent running cataclysm in outer space Every moment bringing its own danger as man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe. Valley Forge, Valley Forge, what the hell's wrong? You're moving out, you're accelerating. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now please advise me immediately. And it's kind of a cult film now. If you are familiar with the film, then you are right now saying, yes, of course. And if you're not, I'll tell you that it is, without giving away important plot points, it is about a, a man who ends up, through an interesting set of circumstances, uh, being alone on a giant spaceship, and except for some charming robots, uh, a, a, a giant spaceship that has a forest in it. Uh, actually several forests and that has that's one of those things that certainly must have been seeded in my unconscious in my subconscious uh, for 40 plus years now because uh, that's an image that I went straight for when I started thinking about uh, relativity and it's there are enough differences that it's not outright theft. Uh, the way that uh, Dr. Mason becomes uh, the only person on his ship is very different from the way Freeman Lovell becomes the only person on, on board his ship. And the forests are very different, too. Silent Running is a very interesting film, very much of its time. It's, it's kind, of a, kind of a hippie movie. And uh, there are some things about it that don't make a lot of sense and uh, some, some science that is just playing wrong. But it is visually a fascinating, fascinating film. And um, I, I recommend it to you. It's, uh, it's called Silent Running, a reference to uh, the, uh, the strategy of submarines, you know, to turn off their engines so they can't be detected. And that's what that's all about. Um, but so I, I was saying that there are these things that are kind of percolating in my subconscious. Uh, I want to share with you a piece of audio never before heard anywhere else. I, I travel a lot for my work. I'm always on the road and very often in my car by myself, which gives me a lot of time to think. And I think I do some of my best writing that way, uh, problem solving or, you know, kind of creating new things. And, but when I get a 
a really complex idea. I feel like I need to put it down somewhere. I don't want to stop the car. So I always have some kind of a recording device handy that I can grab with one hand and keep my eyes on the road and push that record button and start talking. Well, here's a, here's a dictation like that that I made, I'm going to say four years ago. It may have been five years ago. Anyway, um, give this a listen. Hey, I'm thinking about um, uh, an audio podcast, something, audiobook adventure kind of thing. Um, uh, my thinking right now is that it's a conversation between an astronaut on a deep space mission um, who may be alone uh, and mission control. And right now I'm envisioning the astronaut, i.e. me, and uh, the the Capcom is uh, a woman. But for, for this to be a full of mystery, because it's episodic, right? And uh, we're going to end on a cliffhanger every week. Every episode, I mean. And uh, um, I don't know. I, they could have an interesting, playful conversation, and we could feel that they're warm towards each other. But is this his sister? Is this his mother? Is this you know, uh, you know who? Um, and what happened to the per- to the other astronaut? Uh, are they the only ones on the ship? Um, where are they going? What are they doing? Um, why have the stakes gone up? Um, and what happened? Yeah, try try to think of other seeds that could be planted you know maybe he says i didn't want to do this anyway you know or this isn't what i was trained for how about that you know um but this is something that i think could be interesting and that a lot of people could get behind embryonic as it is but it's uh, clearly you know gonna turn into relativity as as time went by but th- there it is that's like you were present at the creation you you heard the very first inkling that i had uh, of this whole story and its basic situations i as i was getting ready to to share these things with you for this recording i i realized I think for the first time, how much I am still influenced by things that I picked up in the early 70s, which I was born in 1961. So, you know, in the mid 70s, I was I was a teenager, of course. And those are those are powerful, formative years for everyone. And so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But there was a lot of things in pop culture, things in the in the media that I just took in through my pores. One of them was the film Silent Running, for example. Another one was a TV series that you will either have never heard of, or if you're about my age, you may be saying, yes, I forgot all about that show, or oh, I used to love that show. It was a, a, a secret agent show called Search. And well, for one thing, it had the coolest theme song uh, of any show on television. Search theme by Dominique Frontier. Yeah, um, it was a it was a, a sort of a spy show. Um, the the uh, our heroes were uh, 
sort of private investigators kind of uh, it was a little vague actually what, what their what what their license was as agents in the field and remember this is the early 70s okay the innovation was that they're not just guys you know with a with a, a license to kill or whatever they have that they also have body cams they have these little micro miniature video cameras that also have complex sensors on them so when they're talking to somebody when they're investigating somebody when they're you know checking somebody out they're not only videotaping them and recording everything that they say but they're also getting a close up of somebody's fingers you know compare that with a database and and identify people by their fingerprints and things like that because of this wonderful little gadget that they had uh you know, that they're wearing as a, as a tie clip or as a ring or something like that. And also they are in constant contact with probe control, with basically their mission control, exactly like a, a NASA. And um, the head of probe control is Burgess Meredith, you know, who is always a, a, a fun actor to see at work. And a team of people who are at their computer consoles and they can pull up just about any information that's, you know, ever been recorded anywhere in the world and feed it instantly to these agents in the field through an audio receiver that the, the agents have implanted right at the base of their jaw, right in, right inside their, next to their ear. So the people back at probe control are not only hearing everything that the agent is doing and seeing things from the point of view of the scanner that the agent is carrying around, but they can also sort of kibitz with them. They can also say, hey, you know, that person over there, that's, that's the guy you're looking for. Or they can say, this person just said something to you in this language, and we have a lingu language expert here who's going to tell you what they said and what you should say in return. And they could do all this kind of at lightning speed. So the agents had this fantastic ability to, to mingle, you know, in anywhere in the world and to instantly learn facts. You know, they, they, they couldn't, you know, explain to somebody how to, you know, fly a, a jet plane or something like that, uh, such that they could do it in a heartbeat. But, uh, um, that was a different show. That would have been Joe 90. We, we won't talk about Joe 90 right now. I'm still talking about search. Anyway, I loved the interaction between the, uh, probe control people and the agents in the field because they could get nettled with the agent. You know, they could say, um, you're not doing what you said you were going to do or where are you taking us? Or you're supposed to be on a case. You know, you need to leave that, that girl alone. So, you know, you can come back to her later once we've solved this problem. You know, it's like they have this whole team of people inside their ear who are constantly talking to them and sometimes arguing with them. That has obviously lived in my mind for 40 plus years because when I started thinking about that relationship between Sophia and Chris, that was the very essence of it. I really wanted Chris to always have this, you know, it's like having a, a, an angel or a devil on your shoulder. Uh, well, I guess I guess it's more like Jiminy Cricket, you know, that, that Chris is going to do whatever he wants to do just because that's kind of his personality. But there's Sophia on his shoulder saying, you know, being his conscience and saying, hey, you know, you probably don't want to do that or you don't want to go in there or, you know, you are supposed to do what I tell you. So, yeah, uh, Search is actually a, a big influence on this, a show that I loved when I was a young teenager. Of course, there were only two seasons of it, and that's why it was never, that's not enough episodes for syndication. So it was never shown in reruns. So once the run ended, it went away. But Warner Brothers, bless them, has recently released a DVD set that is all of the episodes of Search. It's You know what it's like to revisit something that you loved as a kid and then to come back to it as an adult. Yeah, some of, some of Search is pretty silly. 
<laughs> but a lot of the ideas in it are still things that I, I really love, and, and so I'm trying to make use of them in relativity. I also, about the same time, I also loved a much more popular TV series uh, that, that ran for a lot longer, and that is The Rockford Files. And the genius of the Rockford Files, you know, by, by this time, TV and radio detectives, they were all kind of cut out of the same mold. And they're all tough guys, you know, who solve problems with their fists and so on. But they're also super smart and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and they get in fights with people and they can knock people out with one, with one punch and uh, kind of absurd things like that. So... We were, we were starting to innovate, you know. Uh, the, te the television cops were just like that only with this difference. Columbo probably being the best example of that is that uh, Columbo was a person who, if you spend any time with him, you would think, this guy's never going to be able to solve this case. I, I, I'm surprised he can tie his own shoes. He's just, he just doesn't seem like somebody who is, has got it all together or is on the ball. And in fact, he's always the smartest person in the room, always the one who's the most uh, perceptive. The Rockford thing was that he's a private investigator, but he gets in fights where he gets the crap beaten out of him, which you, you didn't see on uh, a lot of other shows. These guys were, were superheroes, really. And the idea, so the idea of, of Rockford is what if he was just a regular guy, you know, who doesn't have, you know, extraordinary abilities of some kind or another, but, but he's, but he's just, but determination and just sort of grit, but he sometimes makes stupid mistakes or he gets into to situations that are embarrassing and, you know, the things that would happen to real people. This is Jim Rockford at the tone. Leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. Jim, thanks for taking little Billy fishing. He had a great time. Turns out he wasn't even really seasick. Um, have you ever had chicken pox? Jimmy, it's Phil in Puerto Rico. This is real important. Talk to Mr. He'll pay $20,000. Call him at 2-2-1-6-2. This is Department of the Army. Our records show that you are the Rockford James who failed to turn in his service automatic in May 1953. Contact us at once. Jimmy, old buddy, buddy. It's Angel. You know how they allow you one phone call? Well, this is it. And I really, I just love that. I love, and James Garner is an actor that I really uh, always enjoy. And uh, I had enjoyed him as a kid on uh, Maverick uh, and, um, and some of the movies that I had seen him in. He was a great comedian as well as dramatic actor. So he, he, he could, he could play all of these, these wonderful moments. And Rockford has this kind of wry, uh, dark humor, um, He's, he's always just sort of aggravated, you know, he, he's very rarely content with things. He's just, and so, um, when I started writing Chris, I was surprised that he almost from the beginning sounded like Rockford to me. So that's always been my mental picture of him is that he's played by the young James Garner, which means, uh, that, uh, Chris, uh, if we were going to make a movie, he'd look like Troy Tempest, who was based on James Garner. So there you have it. I've, I've referenced Joe Niney and Stingray. So uh, I'll try to see if I can get some more Jerry Anderson super marionation shows uh, mentioned as I as I go on. But anyway. Now about my spoiler alert thing. Um, I have... Uh, throughout these episodes been playing a spoiler alert to let people know that we're going to, 
in these interviews, we're going to talk about things that are going to happen, uh, that have happened uh, in recent episodes of Relativity and other people's shows. And so uh, since I'm obviously going to keep doing that, I'm going to sound my spoiler warning now. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Now, I have also been saying after every time I've played this that I'm going to offer some kind of a prize for people who can tell me uh, either who that guy is, the male voice saying spoilers, spoilers, or, or at the very least where that comes from. And I have to say I'm, you know, I, I don't award any prizes because I heard some fascinating speculations and some good guesses from folks, but um, no, Nope, not even close. And when I tell you where that comes from, uh, you may be amazed. Here's the deal. Before our age of 24-hour media programming and Netflix binges and so on, to, to call something or somebody a spoiler had a very different meaning. Uh, a spoiler was somebody, well, I have access to the Oxford English Dictionary here, so the OED says a spoiler uh, is someone who pillages, plunders, or robs. So uh, the King James Bible speaks of people who've lost a war as being handed over to the spoilers. So, And that's how most people use that word until very recently. In fact, the, our modern way of talking about spoilers uh, doesn't turn up in editions of the Oxford English Dictionary until 2018. So it really is a very modern uh, use of that term. But before that, yeah, a spoiler was somebody who... Um, people just mess things up for other people. Well, in 1952, in radio's golden age, spoilers had that earlier meaning. And so everybody in the, the audience listening to a radio show, they would have known what was meant by a spoiler. And there was an announcer who used the word every time he introduced one of the most widely heard weekly drama series that was ever broadcast. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers. And that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Yes, gun smoke. That man, by the way, was George Walsh. Walsh had a 30-year career as a newsman for KNX Radio in Los Angeles, in addition to being a radio TV announcer. And on radio, uh, the cast of Gunsmoke was led by William Conrad, and it had Parley Bear and Georgia Ellis and Howard McNear. When the TV show began... In 1955, yes, there was an entirely different cast, as you may know. But, of course, the characters were the same, and the setting and the title were the same. They even used some of the, the radio scripts on television. But each episode was still introduced by George Walsh. I, I was sure that somebody out there who loved classic radio dramas, as I do, was going to recognize that little audio sample and maybe even know the man's name. But, uh, anyway, there it is. George Walsh saying spoilers in the opening announcement of Gunsmoke. There's some big things that are coming up, and I want you to know about them, because I think they're a lot of fun. The number one big thing coming up, Wi-Fi sci-fi. You, you've, you've heard us talking about this before. Here's some of the details. The creators of A Ninth World Journal, Girl in Space, Moonbase Theta Out, Oz-9, the tales of Sage and Savant and Relativity have banded together under the banner Wi-Fi Sci-Fi, and we are going to do this thing, Wi-Fi Sci-Fi, live. The cast and creators of six, these six science fiction audio fictions are going to get together 
all in the same place and perform our shows live before an audience, probably going to be in April of 2020, and it is most likely going to be in Seattle, Washington. So there's some vagueness on top of the details, but you know what? You can get the correct details, the actual facts, on our website, wifisci-fi.org. W-I-F-I-S-C-I-F-I dot O-R-G. Pulling Wi-Fi Sci-Fi Live together is turning out to be an expensive proposition. So we need to raise some money and we need to do it fast. So we're doing this Indiegogo campaign. Well, why should you give money to our show in Seattle if there's no way that you're going to be there? Well, I'll tell you, some of the premiums that we're offering to people who are going to help support us financially are content, original episodes that have not been heard anywhere else and will not be heard anywhere else, exclusive content for the people who support the show. And if there's a merciful God in heaven, we're going to get a quality recording of the whole show and then release that as an album, which will also be a priceless treasure because we're creating new material for that show as well. So there's two opportunities, even if you're if you're not going to be anywhere near, near Seattle, to come away with episodes of all six of those shows we've created just for you. Now, between now and then is the second big thing I wanted to talk about, and that is Podtails. This is the first time this conference has been held. It's uh, The full title is Podtails, a Festival of Audio Drama and Fiction Podcasting, and that is October 20th, 2019, at the Lunder Arts Center at Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So if you are in, if you're anywhere in New England, jaunt over on October 20th of 2019, to join us at Podtails. This is going to be a big deal, and uh, I'm going to be there. The creators, uh, some of the people involved with creating Oz9 are going to be there. Folks from uh, Moonbase Theta Out are going to be there. At least one person from uh, the Tales of Sage and Savant is going to be there. So, And lots and lots and lots of other podcast creators, shows that you probably follow and enjoy. Find out more about all of that at podtails.org, and that is P-O-D-T-A-L-E-S dot org. And now, about our next episode. Episode 41, the long-awaited episode 41 of Relativity. And from then on, every two weeks, an entirely new episode of the radio drama serial Relativity, barreling on continuously until we get to the amazing and stupefying conclusion of this saga that I feel sure is going to knock your socks off. If you happen to be wearing socks at the time. Okay, there it all is. Thank you so much for listening to this. Drop me a line. Let me know what you think about this. Uh, Talk back to me about any of the things that I've referenced or mentioned here in this last short while. Contact at RelativityPodcast.com. It goes straight to me contact at relativitypodcast.com. Follow me on Twitter at the silly address that I ended up with because I wasn't paying attention when I created the account. (laughs) It's the Relativity account address is RelativityPodC1. RelativityPodC1. That's all, folks. I really, really want to hear from you, and I look forward to getting out these next few episodes for you. I really think you're going to enjoy them. All right, hang in there.
If you enjoy space adventures featuring brave and competent astronauts, can you give me a countdown to be ready? A three, two. If you enjoy podcasts that are culturally sensitive, I've been labeling stuff aboard the ship with post-its so she can learn a language. I speak English, you bloody. If you enjoy shows with sophisticated humor, well, that's just rude. It's her spacesuit. Then you may not want to listen to Oz9. But if you simply enjoy giggling, Oh, <laughs> you anglers, so snooty about all the everythings. Oz9 may be the show for you. Get it wherever you find the other shows you like to put in your ears. That title is spelled O Z Dash Numeral 9. You could certainly do worse.